Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Flesh Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. One Flesh Podcast is designed to help young men find a girlfriend and make her their wife, uh, build a marriage worth having. That's our goal here is to uh, help men uh, in the pursuit of marriage. We do that alongside the Sunday series of the Purpose Podcast, uh, where we help men find and fulfill their purpose in everyday things. Um, today, we have a, a solo episode. Um, it's going to be kind of different, not incredibly different. I know on the last uh, episode of the Purpose Podcast, I said I wanted to do something different. Uh, this is going to be along the same lines of something that we've done before, but uh, it's still going to be fun. And uh, I liked this last time I did it, and I got some good feedback from it. So um, we're going to go ahead and do it. But the uh, baby baby update, I guess, um, we went and had an appointment. Heartbeat was, I mean, she found it instantly. Uh, slowed down, I guess. Uh, it's like at 140 or something like that, um, which is good. Nothing negative to report. So uh, been really cool. We still got to get the nursery all put up, put together and all that stuff. Um, I think nursery things have stopped uh, while we decorate for Christmas. So um, our rule is that we don't really decorate for Christmas until Thanksgiving. And it's not very long after that. So, um, yeah, so uh, everything's going well here. Everything is going well. So um, the gifts have been uh, amazing. People have already given us uh, pretty amazing gifts, and uh, it's been awesome. So it's been really cool to see people um, give like that, and especially to us. Um, so thank you uh, if you have given a gift, and uh, we really appreciate it. It's been absolutely awesome. So hope to be able to return the favor with good content uh, and a whole lot more than that later, <laughs> hopefully. Um, but, uh, yeah, thanks to everybody who's been supporting us. Um, it's been awesome. So, uh, anyway, yeah, we did a, uh, I want to say, I forget who posted the art, maybe Buzzfeed. I think it was Buzzfeed, uh, posted an article of like, uh, people who got married young and like advice from people who got married young to people who might get married young. Uh, and did that. And some of it was really good. Some of it was really bad. Um, I kind of liked that. I really liked being prompted and kind of riffing off of, uh, advice from other married people. Um, especially with my lack of ability to prepare for something like this, for some reason, uh, my procrastination, uh, I'm always a lot better when I'm prompted with somebody else's, uh, curated information and then I can offer a different take, different view on it. Um, so like I said, it's, uh, a little bit different, but I can only talk about so many marriage topics, especially without preparing anything. So um, we're going to go on here and we're going to jump on some of this advice. This is from a, a website called Fatherly, uh, fatherly.com. I know nothing about the website. I don't know whether I support them or not, but it says 25 pieces of marriage advice from couples who have been together 25 plus years. So um, obviously trusting that they did their homework and these people actually have been together 25 plus years. This is going to be people who have made it happen. So. Hopefully this is all good advice. Uh, I've read a few of them. They seem to be pretty decent. So I'm going to go and offer my uh, young, but uh, young, but I'm not going to say anything I don't fully believe in uh, at the moment uh, and offer my take. So uh, number one is going to be accept and allow. Interesting. It says this is a mantra I picked up early on in our marriage. Uh, it's And it's one my husband and I have come to live by. I forget where I heard it, but it's basically a nice way of saying you knew who your partner was when you got married, uh, and you can't change them. There were many things I wished I could change about my husband, 
after we'd been married for a little while, but I realized I loved him and it was a waste of time to dwell on them. I needed to accept him for who he was and allow him to be himself. Uh, that doesn't mean we can't get upset or voice concerns. It just means that we're committed unconditionally to the person we're married, uh, even when they drive us crazy. Uh, this is Lynn, 62, from Florida, married 31 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I works for her. I, I, I agree with that uh, to a very large extent. Like, um, you know, you've married this person. You, you shouldn't, let me put it this way. Basically, uh, I don't like, I don't like this, the phrase accept and allow, but she ends up in the right place of we're committed unconditionally to the person we married, even when they drive us crazy. Yes. Um, you need to understand that. But, uh, with that understanding, I think it's incredibly important to, uh, this it says accept and allow. Uh, I don't, <laughs> you take that in a very wrong direction. Um, again, you know, if you're, uh, well, let me put it this way. If you are, you know, on the road to, uh, my 600 pound life and you were just eating like crazy and gaining weight, I don't think your wife should accept and allow that. And I don't think you should do the same thing for her. Um, you know, we make a, a good argument. I say we, I, I try to make a good argument on here for getting married young so that you can grow up together. It says, Let's see what it says. Uh, you knew who your partner was when you got married and you can't change them. Um, I, yeah, I disagree with that, <clears throat> especially if you get married young. Um, you know, a lot of times the reason that I, I say you should get married young, uh, or at least that it's not a bad thing. The reason that I say that is because then you can mold each other and uh, you know that your partner has certain tendencies or that they come with a certain family, like there are set defined constants when you get married, even if it is at 19 or whatever. Uh, but this idea that you can't change any of that, I think is false. Uh, I, like I said, I think the head's in the right place. She says, uh, it just means that we're committed unconditionally to the person we're married, even when they drive us crazy. Um, yeah. And you know, I will start this with, this is people who have been married for 25 years. Um, you know, I think that being married for a long time is a great goal. And actually, I, let me put it this way. In my view of marriage, I think that's a given. So these people have been together for a very long time. Um, but in my view of marriage, that's called marriage. <laughs> um, in my view of marriage, you're together forever. So um, I, I'm hesitant to say, well, these people have been together for a long time. So let's use their advice. Uh, for me, that's kind of like a prerequisite of being able to call you married um, is that you're together forever. I think that people who kind of view divorce as an option, and we've talked about this this topic, and it's a sticky topic when you get into the extremes, but I think people who, divorce, who view divorce as an option at all, um, I don't know that they hold the same, they don't hold the same definition of marriage. Like definitionally, it's a, it's a, it's a very different thing. Now they may, may seem quite the same, but for me, that's what marriage means. And I think that's what it means truly is to be together forever. Um, I think that's the way marriage truly works. And I think that's the way it's supposed to work. So all, all that to say that it's kind of like you've been together for 31 years. Yeah. Okay. But you're married, you know, so like you should be, um, anyway, uh, the fact that these people probably, maybe some of them don't believe that, you know, you sh have to be married forever or that you should be married forever. Maybe some of these do have divorce as an option and they've used these tactics to stay away from divorce. 
not gonna the advice is sage and uh to me honestly just the experience is worth a lot uh but i just don't want to bank on that fact of like oh they've been married for a very long time uh they must know what they're talking about it's like well yeah but i want to have a good marriage even at you know it says married 31 years uh you can still have a bad marriage and keep it for 31 years seeing people do it um if you keep your marriage for that long your chances of having a good marriage i think go up uh but you can have a very bad marriage for 31 years so that's all i'm really trying to say before we get into this and and like i said i you know it it is a little bit arrogant of me maybe not even arrogant but overconfident but to look at all this advice from people who have been married you know 25 plus years and say that i think something different but that's kind of my justification for that is like yeah well you're married so should be together for 25 years and you can do something wrong for 20 years trust me i've worked for many people that <laughs> um either them or their employees have done something wrong for 25 years so um that's all i'll say about that uh imagine life without your partner uh, my wife and i talk about this all the time we imagine what our toughest days would be like without each other truthfully we always agree that we'd make it through realistically we're each independent and strong enough uh that we'd be fine but it would be terrible uh, that's the takeaway. Life would be possible without each other, but it wouldn't be anywhere near as fun, special, or full of great moments. Uh, it's not uncommon for us to ask each other, can you imagine if I wasn't here? The answer is usually some variation of, yeah, it would suck. I'm glad you are. Uh, Jerry, 56, from Maryland, uh, married 30 years. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that you should, like, intentionally do that. Uh, my mind wanders occasionally, and it's like, and what would I do if, if something bad were to happen? Or especially like when I am angry and I know I shouldn't be angry, it's like, man, you know, what would you do if, if, if your marriage just, you know, if I don't even want to say it, but if, if DL and just, uh, cease to exist, like right now, what would you do? It would, it would really suck. Um, it would really suck. So, uh, I don't know that it's something that you should intentionally do, like think all the time about, you know, well, if she wasn't here, um, that's kind of a, uh, to me, that's a very like doom and gloom type of thing. And uh, I think you should look at how good it can be while she is here. And then occasionally um, it's it's not bad to think about, man, what would you do without this? Uh, what, what What's the other option? Um, because it looks pretty sucky. So uh, yeah, I agree with that. Let's see, three crack jokes. We got married when we were both almost 40 and our sense of humor has gotten more juvenile every year maybe it's just us but i don't think so we laugh at rude noises we roll our eyes at each other's terrible jokes we love watching movies uh it's just that primitive human sense of humor we both have uh so many couples seem to lose that the longer they stay married uh that's there's this weird pressure to become more civilized or dignified uh, as you get older we never got that memo it seems and when it's just the two of us, we're usually cracking up. We've stayed uh, in love so long because we're too busy laughing to be fighting. David, 68, Michigan, married 30 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I don't know. That's that's just kind of depends on your personality. I, th I definitely think that, let me put it this way. I think that sense of humor is uh, you should be able to laugh together. Now, Dylan and I don't have a completely similar sense of humor, but she tolerates mine. Um for sure. Uh, she doesn't get a lot of the jokes that I get a lot of like cultural jokes that she's just not, just doesn't know the thing. You know, if she knew the thing the way that I knew the thing. She would laugh at it. Um, you know, memes and stuff like that. She doesn't really know. Uh, but we can laugh at the same things and she doesn't ever like, that's just a stupid joke. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
sometimes I do that to her, but I don't really like mean it, you know, like she'll show me a TikTok and I'm like, that's just dumb, you know, and sometimes I'm giving her hell, but uh, a little bit of a difference in sense of humor is okay. Uh, but if you just don't find anything that each other can laugh about at the same time, it's going to be a tough road. <laughs> it's going to be a really tough road. Uh, you know, this, this saying, you know, it's like, uh, it's just that primitive human sense of humor we both love. Uh, yeah, you know, I do think that it's important to be able to laugh at, uh, we've talked about this on the regular, the Sunday series of, uh, it's important to be able to laugh at like what people would consider dark jokes. Uh, you know, this says primitive human sense of humor. Um, yeah, I mean like dark jokes and stuff like that. There's, there's a certain kind of, uh, humility that comes with, uh, being able to make and laugh at dark jokes, uh, especially when they pertain to you or, uh, something like that. So, uh, the more candid you can find a, a sense of humor in a woman, uh, the better I would say. So number four, don't be so damn stubborn. This is going to be good. Uh, let's see. Don't insist on always having the last word. It's never, it's never not worth it. Um, don't insist on always having the last word. It's never not worth it. Uh, what you think is a fundamental bedrock principle might actually be just a, a personal preference, uh, not worth having a spat or holding a grudge about, uh, be open to that possibility. Even if you're, even if you get your way, it will take a toll. And if you agree to something, abide by the mutual decision. The loss of trust is also not worth getting your way. Uh, we've learned to be responsible for and take ownership of our decisions and actions. Uh, we always try to avoid criticizing or guilting. Uh, never helps. Instead, we try to have constructive conversations about specific behaviors that might be troubling. We're And we're each willing to listen to each other's concerns, even if they seem trivial. Claude, 68, married 33 years. Yeah, I agree with this. I mean, this is, Do this is Jocko 101. Uh, don't always insist on having the last word. Uh, that that one's pretty important. Yeah. Um, let it go sometimes. I'm not the best at this, by the way. And I've talked about this multiple times that I'm not the best at letting it go. Far from it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah. So let's see. Instead, try to have constructive conversations about specific behaviors that might be struggling, that might be troubling. And we're each willing to listen to each other's concerns. Yeah. I think that's a... Uh, Good, good, solid advice. You heard it. I don't really have anything to add. Uh, we won't always be, you won't always be on the same page. Uh, and that's okay. Patience and communication are key to any successful relationship, uh, but especially a long-term one. It's important to remember that you're not always going to agree about everything. There will be times when you need to listen more than you talk and times when you need to communicate open and honestly. Uh, you can do this by making time for each other, even when life gets busy, whether it's taking a walk after dinner or spending a weekend away together. Uh, do everything you can to keep the bond strong. Steve, 49, Arizona, married 26 years. Uh, yeah, uh, let's see, what does it say? You won't always be on the same. This kind of walks around a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, you basically what he's saying here is just prepare to have tough times. I don't know if there's anything like great in there other than it says you can do this by making time for each other even when life gets busy. Uh, yeah, this is something I've talked about frequently. Uh, my friends Scott and Ellie, they do weekly date night and it treats them well. Uh, and just a little sidebar, uh, full of them, but, uh, just a little sidebar, uh, priorities in your time. Um, I recently heard that not everything has to have balance, but there at least needs to be rhythm. Uh, I actually plan to expand on that uh, a little bit later in a purpose podcast, the Sunday series. 
uh not everything has to have balance but there at least needs to be rhythm uh, and i'll and i'll add that on uh your rhythm needs to align with your priorities so if your marriage is your number one priority which should be kind of behind i guess uh your faith um and your relationship with god after that should be your marriage uh work is not in between the two kids should not be in between the two kids should be like right after your marriage uh weekly date night is important and you should be balancing your time i know i just said balancing but uh your time should your time should reflect your priorities let me put it that way there needs to be a rhythm whether it's you know weekly date night um bi-weekly date night whatever I think weekly is good. I think you can give your your wife at least one evening every single week. I think you can make that happen, whether you think you can or or not. I think you can. Um, I would be hard pressed to find anybody that just absolutely cannot do date night once a week. Uh, they're probably not trying hard enough if they say that they can't. But, um, but yeah, whatever that rhythm needs to be, uh, you need to stick to it. Uh, and prioritization doesn't always mean an equal share of the math you know like if you're let's say you have a certain amount of time uh if your marriage is your number one priority that doesn't mean that it needs to get the most percentage of your time but it does mean that it needs to overrule anything else so for example let's say you've set out three hours a week for your marriage uh for date night um well that's still a lot less than what you work and if you're me that's a lot less than what you spend in the gym uh, that's a lot less than maybe what you spend at kids practices or football games or whatever it might be. Uh, the time share isn't always equal, but if it's a priority, nothing else gets to override that three hours. Does that make sense? Um, so just go off of that. I, I found something decent in that, uh, I think, but, uh, number six, bite your tongue. My rule is bite your tongue for at least 24 to 48 hours after speaking when tensions are high. Uh, if you are overly emotional and or upset about something, doing so gives you time to cool off and reflect on the situation with greater space, perspective, calmness, and clarity. If you still want to talk about it, schedule a mutually agreed upon time to do so. Uh, say something like, I am upset about what you just said, did, but I want to think about it before we talk. Mentally, uh, you'll be in a much better place. Romy, 52, California, married 26 years. Um, I guess I should have checked. <laughs> says in California, I should have made sure that these were uh, real marriages, not uh, gay marriages. <laughs> says Romy, 52, California. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, that California has me a bit concerned, but um, it says my rule is bite your tongue for at least 24 to 48 hours after speaking when tensions are high. Um, sure, you know, uh, tensions rarely get very high in in our marriage typically we're able to talk it back down very quickly um i do know people that the moment tensions get high they take a break um i don't know that you set a time to it uh like 24 to 48 hours seems like a lot um but what you do want to avoid is letting that emotional build up you know get like exponential you know building upon things that have just happened, your your adrenaline's up, whatever it might be, you're angry, got all those chemicals flowing through your brain. Uh, yeah, you might want to give it some time. Um, it says having a, a mutually agreed upon time to do so. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, what, you, what you really don't want to do is, uh, I will say this, you don't want to put it off so long that you're no longer concerned about it and nothing gets fixed. 
Um, because I, I've seen that too, where, you know, letting it go is important sometimes, but also, uh, you know, the more you let it go and the more it comes back up because it's not actually fixed, uh, that anger still compounds, that frustration still compounds. Um, you know, like it occasionally, well, how do I, how do I put this without pissing somebody off? Um, that's the struggle of my life, by the way, (laughs) is how do I put this without pissing somebody off? Um, no, yeah, there are, there are a lot of times to where it's like, you know, okay, I'm going to let this go. And then two months later, I'm going to let this go. You know what? I think she gets a point. I think she gets that I'm upset. I'm going to let this go. And then another month later, it's like, why am I still dealing with this? Um, I do think that, you know, it's not something that you should hold over your head, but uh, one of the guys that's in our like men's accountability group type thing at the church, uh, he always says that he thinks it's okay to let your kids know that you're giving them grace. And I think that can be, you know, situationally dependent, but he seems to have had good success with it. I think it's okay to let your wife, like, look, I'm letting this go this time. Like, I'm really, I'm not going to throw any more of a fit about it. I just want you to know how, how much this angers me. And if that means anything to you, we've talked about how I need you to fix it. I really need this fixed. And then maybe you can let it go. But what I, to, to this point of taking a break when things get tense, yes, but don't, don't, forget if it's something like super serious because that that can happen to couples and then 10 years later you're all upset about stuff that's that's happened over that 10 years um so yes if if things get tense and emotions run high uh take it walk away before you say something that's really going to piss you the both off you know piss you both off let's see choose your own adventure my marriage has never been easy but it's always been an adventure uh best advice i can give getting married is like going to a theme park uh know who you are and what ride you want to go on, if you want to go on the carousel, stability stability and serenity, marry that. If you want to go on a roller coaster, risk an adventure, don't marry someone who's afraid of speed and heights. The key is to know yourself uh, and what you want before you pledge yourself to a partnership. Then once you found your match, run your marriage like a good company, identify each person's strengths and weaknesses and delegate those responsibilities accordingly. Kathleen, 57, Nebraska. Uh, You know, actually... I kind of agree with this. Uh, I could see a lot of ways that that both of those, I guess, those analogies uh, or metaphors could go wrong. But uh, I do, I do agree with this. And basically, you know, what she's saying with the amusement park is the key to, is to know yourself and what you want before you pledge yourself to a partnership. Yes, we've talked about it all that's all the time. Uh, the five purpose criteria for getting married: uh, religion, money, family, health and fitness, and substance abuse. Uh, you should know those in yourself. You shouldn't figure out those in the person that you might want to marry. Uh, It says run your marriage like a good company, identify each person's strengths and weaknesses and delegate those responsibilities accordingly. Uh, I agree with that, but very, very important to understand that marriage is not like a contract. Um, That is one thing that we want to avoid is that marriage is not contractual. It's, it's a, it's an equally uh, sacrificial promise on both sides, which is not how you would run a good company. <laughs> um, that's that's not how you would run a good company. You would make sure that your company has uh, coverage where a partnership to go wrong or a deal to go wrong. Um, you wouldn't, uh, hopefully, you wouldn't uh, fatally risk your company for a partner uh, when that's exactly what you're doing in a, in a good marriage. So I agree with the analogy and specifically, uh, 
identifying the person's strengths and weaknesses and delegating those responsibilities accordingly accordingly i really agree um this is something that uh we've i've talked about with uh some of my buddies this is something that we are doing in my household um my wife is not exactly uh meant to go do um office work or uh have a career like what i do it's not really what she wants to do it's not what she's she's made to do could she do it yes i've seen my wife do amazing things she could power through the college she could get through it uh, she would be deeply unsatisfied and it would be an absolute waste of of talent and potential um identify each other's strengths and weaknesses and operate within that yes very much so while working on those weaknesses you know maybe we'd like to get at the end of our marriage when we're both you know ragged and run down maybe we're at 85% strengths and, and 15% weaknesses or something like that. Um, when you started at, at 30 and 70, um, whatever it might be, uh, let people operate within their strengths. I like to cook. I really do like to cook. Um, most of the time I do the cooking because I like to do it and I'm good at it. Uh, she does a lot of the organization and some of the, you know, the cleaning and stuff like that um, because she likes to do it and she's good at it. Yes, identify each other's strengths, delegate those responsibilities. It's most important in work. Uh, it's most important in work. Who has the ability uh, to make the most money? Um, who wants to make the money? Uh, who can make the money? Um, let that person go make the money and, and somebody else covers and moves in a, def- in a different area. If you both uh, have to work, um, cover, cover and move at home. You, you guys know the drill. So uh, we're never going to get through this if I don't hurry because it's already at 25 minutes. Uh, do the work. Everybody has has heard the phrase opposites attract, but you don't really hear the phrase opposites keep people together. They can, though, if you learn how to navigate them. Opposites can create a great deal of conflict over time if you don't learn how to accept them. It can be a difficult process, but it's necessary to stay happily married long term. Good marriages don't just happen. They require a great deal of work and intention. The English language has one word for love. I love my wife and I love spicy food. There is no comparison. Since the term I love you is so confusing and vague, it makes sense to define that, uh, define what mean what that means to both of you, even if you're total opposites. Uh, Monty, sixty four, Florida, married forty years. That's kind of a weird twist at the end, but I get what he's saying. So first, he's saying do the work. Um, he's saying you know opposites attract, but that can be dangerous. Um, make sure that you're expecting work in in a marriage, and I think that's important. Um, he says it's necessary to stay happily married long term. Yes, good marriage. Sorry, good marriages don't just happen, correct? Um, The English language has one word for love. I love my wife and I love spicy food. There is no comparison. Since the term I love you is so confusing and vague, it makes sense to define what that means to both of you, even if you're total opposites. Um, Yeah, and he's like, he's like, even if you're total opposites. Yeah, I think he's kind of confused here because he thinks that people like, quote unquote, opposites attract. So they go out and they just look for somebody that's completely different than them. I don't think that's actually true. Um, I think that in some cases, uh, people people find opposites, and in some cases, opposites do attract because of that uh, that evening out of strengths and weaknesses. Uh, your weaknesses uh, may fall within my strengths, and then my weaknesses may fall within your strengths. Uh, that's why people tend to find quote unquote opposites. But anyway, yes, his his sentiment here of defining what love means. I think is very, very important. And I would start with like, 
marriage. <laughs> you can get a good idea of what love means to somebody when you define marriage. I think it's a lot harder to define love than it is for marriage uh, for some people. Number nine, keep each other guessing. My husband is a quiet man. Me, not so much. I was surprised when he told me how much he loves the fact that he never knows what I'm going to do from one minute to the next, and I appreciate his willingness to try different things. It's our unofficial, uh, as our unofficial social secretary, I've planned trips where he hasn't really known where we're going until we get uh, on the plane. Our secret is really just keep life interesting. Otherwise, life becomes stale and boring. Don't do something unexpected from time to time, and you'll learn how much you cherish each other's company. Carol, 72, Georgia, married 49 years. Um, yeah, I mean, basically it's it's talking about, you know, spontaneity and, and uh, keeping things new. I think a lot of times that people uh, end up, you know, like stepping out on their marriage or uh, moving away from their marriages because of new things. Um, it's a poor excuse, really. I think it's less the new thing and it's more uh, tired of working on the old thing. Uh, but you can make the old thing more pleasurable to work on if uh, if you're doing new things. That's why weekly date night is important because eventually, you know, maybe maybe I'll do like going to the same restaurant, but eventually you're going to want to change it up. Um, eventually you're going to want to do something different. Uh, it's not just going to be the same old, uh, you know, ragged out work week that it always is. Uh, you're going to do new things and you're going to have changes. And so, uh, yeah, I agree with this sentiment. Um, now I am the social secretary, uh, as she likes to put it in this, uh, I may tr plan a trip where Dylan doesn't know where we're going, but I would absolutely not. Number one, my wife would never be able to keep a secret about where we're going. Uh, number two, I would not like that at all. Um, and I'm definitely not going to get on a plane, not knowing where we're going. Um, this, this is kind of wrong and people may, <laughs> may not like, but I would be so afraid of where we would end up because Dylan is so dyslexic. Um, <laughs> people may not like that. I <laughs> say that about my wife, but, um, if my wife bought plane tickets and didn't tell me where we were, where we were going, I would be very afraid. I mean, I know it says, you know, boarding to town, but, uh, I would be very afraid that she ended up like booking a flight to Gaza or something like that. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Jen ask for space when you need it. I think many couples are afraid to say, Hey, I need some time alone away from you. Uh, they they worry that their partner will take it personally, and so they avoid the conversation completely. Even in our courtship, we are, uh, we're very clear with each other about the fact that we wouldn't survive a marriage if we couldn't each have our own space. So we're not shy with each other when we need a breather. Sometimes it's just a few hours with a good book. Other times, one of us wants to get a coffee and run errands on a Saturday. Uh, the key is being respectful about the request, considering any commitments you might have, and using that time to recharge yourself for the betterment of the relationship. Kurt, South Carolina. Married for 36 years. Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, this concept of alone time is, is good. Um, I'm one of those person, I'm one of those people that I don't like to be with the same person 24 seven, but I could be around people 24 seven. Uh, I don't need like specific alone time. Uh, but I, uh, I don't necessarily like to be around DLN 24 seven. Um, hopefully she's still asleep. She didn't hear that. Uh, don't let her know, but uh, I don't necessarily like to be around DL in 24 seven. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, if you need your own space, I think, and let me put it, let me say this, uh, take advantage of the space that you already have. I think a lot of couples don't actually spend enough time together, productive time, like date night and stuff like that. Uh, I think intentionality is important when you are together. Uh, I think a lot of couples don't, um, 
like their time together is always spent in stress with the kids or cooking dinner or uh, they want to bitch about something while they're together. Uh, not good. Treat your time together very importantly. Uh, set out, set aside uh, important time together, and I feel like you'll need a lot less time to yourself. People spend time with, with themselves all the time. I mean, just drives to work, uh, whatever it might be. They spend time with themselves all the time. Um, to, to act like, you know, even me, I'm a very, very social person. When I'm at work, I'm talking with somebody nine times out of 10, uh, with my workouts and all I, I spend, and maybe that'll change with, with some kids. May I'm surely it'll lessen, uh, with children because when Dylan has to go do something, I'll be with the child. But, um, I have a lot of time to myself, like a lot of time to myself. And I'm one of the more social people that I know. Um, so I guess all that to say is that if you find yourself needing time for yourself, you probably need to evaluate the time that you're spending with your with your partner first. I say partner uh, with your wife. Uh, you probably need to evaluate that time first to make sure that it's good quality time. Because if you just need time for yourself, maybe there maybe maybe the time that you're spending with that other person is sucky time, and maybe it's your fault. So figure that out first. Uh, evaluate the time that you're spending with them and make sure it's good quality time before you you know, before you just be like, Oh, I need time to myself. Why do you need time to yourself? Like why, why sometimes it's important to decompress. Sometimes people are introverted. Um, you know, I'm going to talk on this one for a while, but, uh, sometimes I, there's times to where, um, I'm down for a good hug and there's times where like, I'm not like, I, but there's very rarely ever time where I just don't want to be around Dylan. You know what I'm saying? Um, like I get, I get that, you know, I'm social enough that maybe some days like the hug is my limit of like, I just don't really want to be touched right now um, at all. I don't really want to cuddle. don't want to really be super close. Um, and I could see how sometimes that could get for, for other people of like just being in the same room or hanging out. Maybe they want to do their own thing. Uh, maybe they just don't want to be around people. Um, but I would evaluate that time that you're spending with that other person. And why is that stressing you so much? Um, anyway, that's, that's all I'll say there. 11, learn each other's love language. Any act of love done uh, with best intentions is good, but knowing your partner's, uh, how your partner refers to see those gestures, wow, I can't talk, can make them much more special. My wife's two love languages are quality time and acts of service. Uh, over the course of our marriage, I've learned how happy it makes her when I help out around the house. Uh, simple things like unloading the dishwasher or flipping the laundry make her so happy. Flipping, folding, maybe. Uh, and because I pitch in, work as a team, we're able to spend more quality time together. You can uh, take the tests and stuff to figure out what each other's love language is. That's easy. The more fun part is finding out how you can try to speak to your partner using them every day. Gene, 54, Massachusetts. Yeah, uh, I don't really have anything to add to that. Um, spot on, figure out how they want to uh, receive the love that you want to give them. Uh, always kiss goodnight. In all of our years of marriage, I think there have been maybe a dozen times my husband and I haven't kissed each other goodnight. Even when we've had terrible, terrible arguments, we always kiss each other on the cheek or the forehead uh, just as a way to remind each other that we'll get through this. Uh, when you don't want to talk to someone because you're so angry, it can be hard to say I love you. Uh, sometimes you just don't have the voice, uh, but a quick kiss can say a lot. Uh, and for us, it has. Renee, 60, Texas, married 31 years. Uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, I, w I would agree with that. This whole notion of don't go to bed angry, I think, has been silly for a very long time. Um, you know, people say don't go to bed angry as a substitute for always work things out, but, uh, 
you can definitely sit on an argument for a little bit, but something like that, you know, always kiss each other goodnight or whatever. Uh, that little reassurance that, hey, I'm not mad enough to, you know, this isn't this isn't a terminal argument. Uh, I think that that is good. Um, and then you can roll over and be upset all you want. Um, let's see. 13, never assume if your partner is upset with you, don't assume you know why. Uh, if he's quiet or down, don't assume you know why. If you're upset, don't assume he knows why. Uh, you have to remember that no matter how connected you both may be, you're not mind readers. You need to communicate as clearly as possible and as frequently as possible. Give each other permission to say you'd rather wait to talk about things, but always let your partner know that you don't uh, want to assume you know what's going on. I think this is a very good perspective. This is Christine, 51, Connecticut, married 26 years. Excellent perspective. Um, yeah, uh, you don't always you don't want to assume that you know what's going on. You can have a decent idea. And sometimes maybe it doesn't need to be talked about. Maybe you know damn good and well why why they're upset and you just need to fix, need to take ownership of the issue and fix uh, what they're upset about. But yeah, don't ever just assume that you know. Um, Yeah, you can always talk about it and ask. So, uh, but when you ask, be ready for the answer and be willing to accept the answer. Uh, Nurture the friendship. Remember that uh, your partner is also your friend. Not every conversation you have should be about life decisions, finances, or being married. I love my marital relationship with my wife, but I dare say I love our friendship more. Uh, when we get to spend time together as, quote, friends, we laugh, we joke, and we remember why we're such a good team, and that helps with our marriage. You wouldn't want to be on a team without any friends, would you? Uh, marriage is the same idea, and it's for the rest of our lives. Make sure you always try to make time for the one-of-a-kind friendship. William, 57, Colorado, married 30 years. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I don't really have anything else to add. Uh, it is important to note that wives are different than friends, uh, but closer than what it may seem. Uh, I, I've had that uh, conversation a few times now of uh, <laughs> um, marriage and friendship are, what is it? It's it's still a relationship, but it's like different in intensity, not kind or something like that. I don't know. Um, I think people, let me put it this way. I think people need to take their friendships more seriously, not their not their marriages less seriously. Um, you know, your wife is not just a friend. It's your wife. Um, but yeah, nurture that friendship. Anything that you like doing with your friends, uh, there's a good chance that if you do that with your wife, it may be enjoyable. Um, spending that time together. Um, you like your friends for a reason. You get along with your friends for a reason. Um those same things that help you get along with your friends probably are going to help you get along with your wife, like going to watch the same movies. Maybe your wife doesn't like to watch sports, but uh, making jokes, all of those things uh, nurture that within your marriage. And I think that makes for a good marriage. Number 15, talk every day, even if it's just a hello in the morning or a good night before bed or text or email to say hi. Don't ever let a day go by that you don't talk to your spouse. For me, even on our worst days, hearing my husband's voice is reassurance. Uh, I know he feels the same way. We might not want to speak to each other, uh, but we know that we're still committed to each other and we'll get past whatever spat we're facing. For both of us, silence is not an option. And because of that, we find our way back to each other every time. Leanne, 49, Nevada, married 25 years. Uh, I would agree with this, but this is not to say that I'm good at it. Um, I am very much so. I'll try to talk about it. And if I don't really get the answer I want, um, or if I either you know, know I'm wrong or uh, if it's just not getting resolved as easily, you know, I, again, this is not an excuse, uh, but 
very, I, I, I utilize my time. Uh, like I said, don't exactly love the word busy, but I utilize my time. And there are times that I just don't have uh, the ability to argue about this right now. Like I just don't have the ability to discuss this right now. And I've tried and I've spent 10, 15 minutes trying to discuss this and make it better. And I'm not getting the results that uh, I want uh, for whatever reason. Maybe I really am wrong. Maybe she's just not getting it. Combination of the two. Um, but at that point, I just have to, I just, I have to go get a workout in. Like I have to, otherwise it's going to be a midnight. You know, it's going to be midnight in bed and then up at four in the morning that's not worth this argument right now. Uh, so I'll kind of shut down a little bit. Just don't want to talk, not in a great mood. Uh, <laughs> that, and I would be lying if I said I didn't know that it irritates her. I don't do it intentionally all the time, but I know it frustrates D. Ellen. I uh, know for a fact that she gets very upset when that happens. And if we haven't talked for two days, uh, it's unbearable for her. And for me, it's kind of not. <laughs> and that's, I don't know what that says about me. Um, but for me, um, I can, I can deal with that, especially if it's initiated from me. Uh, it's not a great quality and it's one that I've worked kind of hard to fix, but, uh, this one is a good talk every day. That's a good one that I'll incorporate into, into my own marriage. Cause I'm not very good at that. I'll shut down for a couple of days. Just don't really want to talk about it. Typically it's never, I will say this, if you're my wife listening to this, it's never after I haven't already tried. like. Typically, I've already tried. Maybe it's a maybe it was a piss poor attempt on my end, but uh, I typically feel like I've already tried to resolve it and didn't get what I needed to. And now I just want to be done with it. But that doesn't mean that I'm ready to just talk again. Not a great mentality. Don't recommend that to anybody. Uh, and this fixes it. Always make sure you're talking to one another. Swallow your pride. Have a conversation about the dishwasher or whatever. I don't care. Have a conversation with the dishwasher about the dishwasher. Yeah. Um, Number 16, be patient with your spouse and yourself. Uh, you need to be flexible uh, in a marriage. You need to understand that if you and your partner truly love each other, you're not deliberately trying to make things difficult, but inevitably, inevitably there will come times when you just can't agree. In those times, you need to remember that you both are only human. You used to get upset with each other, and then we used to get upset with each other and then beat ourselves up pretty badly because we'd think I should be better at this, uh, and our marriage suffered. It wasn't until we were able to extend grace to ourselves and each other and remind ourselves that we are both still learning how to be better every day, that we really grew as a couple. Ray, 47, New York, married 25 years. I agree with this. Uh, be patient with your spouse and yourself. Um, both, obviously, but be patient with yourself. This is something that, you know, I struggled with the talking every day and a little bit of the silent treatment, um, which, again, is not good, not a good quality of myself. Um, DLN struggles with this a lot, and it's almost like a... This isn't to like straight come at her on the on podcast and and like talk trash, um, but it it is real. Uh, it's almost like a uh, it's almost like a self sacrificing way to get out of an argument, and that's what it feels like to me a lot of times when she does it. Is she's like, I'm just so upset with myself that I could let this happen, and it's like, okay, yeah, I get that. Let's move on to the solution. Like, tell me that you're not going to do this part. Of, like, understand that you're beating yourself up about it. I, you don't need to beat yourself up about it. It's not that big of a deal, but also we need to find solutions. Like it's been three days. We got to find some solution. So, um, you know, not this harsh. I've never spoken to my wife this hard, but, um, you know, build a bridge, get over it. Um, it is what it is. 
you make mistakes, I make mistakes. Let's figure out a solution so that I can feel like I've had progress on this. Because that's what will really happen is I feel like there's no progress. Um, she's beating herself up about it. Uh, and it's just frustrating for the both of us. So um, admit that you've made a mistake. Uh, take ownership of that mistake. Then focus on the solution. Understand that your partner makes mistakes. Understand that you make mistakes. It doesn't matter who's made more mistakes. It doesn't matter who's going to make the most mistakes. Uh, doesn't matter who ends up being right on most of these situations. It really doesn't. Uh, take ownership of the mistake, evaluate each situation uh, as they come, and then move on with it. Don't don't put yourself in a hole of, wow, I'm such a bad person that I made this mistake. Um, understand that you shouldn't have made the mistake. Apologize for the mistake. Mean it. Uh, take that guilt. Move it aside and figure out a solution. Because if you really have made a mistake, you owe your partner a solution. You owe your partner effort and a solution if you're the one that's made a mistake. So don't beat yourself up to the point to where there is no progress because what your partner wants is progress. <laughs> uh, saying that from myself, uh, this, this is common, um, in, in our marriage, uh, from, from DLN's side. And she would be the first one to admit it. I'm not again saying anything that I don't have the authority to say. Um, and nothing that she would be upset about me talking about. So, um, and it's, yeah. So that's all I'll say about that. Don't beat yourself up to the point that you can't make progress. Um, it, it really sucks. Like I said, being the, being the person on the other side of that, it, it is frustrating because you don't, you can't be like, why are you beating? You can't like, you can't get upset because they're beating themselves up, you know, cause it's like, you know, you, you don't want them to do that. Um, and you can't like be mad at them for it because they're so guilty about it. Uh, but it's also very frustrating because you want progress. So if you have a tendency to do that, um, move on, give yourself grace, uh, and get over it. So, uh, 17, have your own hobbies. One of the things my wife and I love about each other is our respective passions. She's an amazing painter and I love making and building things. She has a room downstairs where she goes and paints for hours at a time. Uh, and I'm always so excited for her to open the door and invite me in to see what she's created. Uh, she feels the same way when I come in from the garage with a newly stained chair or birdhouse or something that I've been working on. We love talking to each other about our passions and they give us so many chances to support each other as husband and wife. John, 55, New York, married 35 years. Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with this. Have your own passions. Um, be passionate about something. It's not even really have your own passions. Uh, what I see more times is that they're just not passionate about anything, like at all. Uh, and they especially don't like... Let, let's let's talk about this. Maybe they're passionate about something, but they especially don't exercise any discipline and work hard for it. Uh, and so they end up the only thing that they're anywhere close to passionate about, uh, because a marriage is so much is really hard work, uh, is like their kids because it's easier to ignore their marriage than it is their children. Sometimes, uh, some people just ignore them all together and they're not passionate about anything at all. Uh, but it's important to have something of passion and to work hard on that. Uh, outside of your marriage, uh, your fitness is a very good one. Um, hunting, those are that's two of mine. Cooking, whatever it might be, be very passionate about something and be willing to uh, give a little blood, sweat, and tears for it. It shows your partner that you care about something, like just about something. Um, it gives your partner a, a way to view you in a, in a good light, even when maybe you're not performing the best in your marriage or with your kids or at home. Um, you know, I like to think that. If I'm missing some honeydews around the house, at least she sees how hard I'm working for my fitness. And as a matter of fact, I know that's true. 
um, at least she sees how hard I'm working for hunting and that I'm willing to put myself through through a lot to achieve those goals. Now, that doesn't mean that I can, you know, what do you mean you want me to come home and mow the lawn? I'm hunting. That's a poor perspective. But my point is uh, just seeing you passionate and working hard about something reminds her that you have the capability to do that. Uh, that can go way too far in another direction. You know, it's supposed to forget your wife for that passion, but it is important to be passionate, uh, about something and to let your wife have a passion. Um, I, I don't even know that anybody like this because they're just so scummy, um, would even listen to this, but, uh, I've known guys that like, they don't let their wives pursue what they actually want to pursue. Um, some, a lot of times that's being a stay at home mom uh their their passion is that and the guys don't want to miss out on the cash or maybe sometimes they can't but uh the guys don't want to find a way they want that nurse money uh they want that 35 bucks an hour uh go out and get it woman we'll send the kids to a babysitter uh let your wife have a passion as well uh and be excited about that passion that's probably my pitfall is I'm not as as excited as I should be and supportive as I should be about some of her passions as I am my own and especially not as much as she is about mine. So um, reciprocate that allowance and support of passion. Uh, 18, don't look for flaws. If you actually actively look for flaws in your partner, you will find them because no one is perfect and uh, they are definitely there. Uh, why would anyone want to look for flaws, right? Well, we both found ourselves doing that during some rough patches in our marriage. It was almost like we were playing gotcha with each other, trying to prove each other wrong. It took a while to figure out, but we realized that we needed to work together against whatever problem we were facing instead of using it as an excuse to work against each other. Uh, it wasn't an easy lesson, but it's probably the most important one we've ever learned uh, for the sake of our marriage. Brian, 48, Indiana, married 26 years. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, this is this is pretty important. Separating, it's, it's, it's important to, like he said, uh, instead of using it as, uh, let's see, but we realized that we needed to work together against whatever problem we were facing. Yeah, sometimes that problem can be in a, in a specific person in the marriage. <laughs> sometimes that that problem can be, hey, you need to fix this. Uh, but it's important to look at that from a one flesh perspective and understand that um, even though this may be you and that may hurt a little bit, you're in this with this person uh, and and they have flaws that they're going to eventually need to fix. It's 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 very difficult, but it's very beneficial to be able to step back and say, "Oh, is that about myself? Yeah, let me move over. Let me let me put this over here, and I'm gonna step on this side of the wall with you, or this side of the line. I'm gonna step over here with you. And this mistake that I keep making, it, it's me that keep, I'm the one that's gonna have to not do this, or I'm the one that's gonna have to fix this. But let me look at this with you and evaluate how crappy that problem is. And why don't you help me figure out a solution that I can go and act." It's very, it's called detachment. Jocko, literally, I just gave you a picture of setting it over here on this side of the line. Uh, detachment from the issue um, and not taking that personally is very important. And it's it's tough. It's tough. And this is where you can feel like you're always being a- attacked or you're always the one messing up. Uh, if, if those problems just tend to happen more with you, uh, well, then... Sometimes it's going to feel like it's all you, or sometimes it's going to feel like you're being attacked. Um, Try to separate the problem from yourself and say, look, this problem does not define me. This problem is not nearly as much a part of me as my wife is. 
because we are one flesh, this problem is a bad habit or a stupid mistake. Um, so I'm not, my wife is not attacking me. She's trying to help me against this problem. This problem has much less stake in my life than this wife, than, than my wife. Uh, so I'm not going to take this personally. I'm going to team up with her. And even though I'm the one that's got to do the work, I'm the one that's got to go mow the lawn. My wife's not going to do it. Um, I'm the one that's got to go mow the lawn. I'm going to do that as part of a team with her. Uh, it, that's very important to be able to attach and address those problems without taking them personally. Uh, stay intimate. Uh, number 19, stay intimate. Uh, intimacy is more than physical. And as you get older, that's a great thing to realize. It's holding each other's hands. It's making sure to give each other a kiss before you leave in the morning. And as soon as you get home at night, uh, it's turning off your phones for a night and just enjoying each other's company. Physically, we're not where we used to be. Uh, we still make love, but I think we both agree that the intimacy we strive for takes place more outside of the bedroom than in it. Uh, and it's kept us very much in love for a long time. Natalie, 60, North Carolina, married 35 years. Thank you for that, Natalie. Um, no, I actually, I, I very, I agree with this. This is another one that I'm not very good at. Uh, I, I get, so this funny, funny thing about me is uh, I'm a very social person and I could be around people almost 24 seven, not the same people, but people in general, almost 24 seven. I'm also incredibly easy to, to like overstimulate. Like if I'm on a phone call and somebody walks in and starts talking at even a, like a moderately loud volume, uh, completely ruins my phone call. Uh, and after you have that over a long course of the day, um, I just don't want, like I can get really overstimulated really easily. And so some of that intimacy, especially, uh, even in like the mental capacity of like having those conversations or, um, holding hands, or I even said earlier, like just a hug or something like that. It's very overstimulating for me, especially in the physical realm. And I don't know, I don't know if there's anything to this, but just all the working out and stuff like that, maybe it, that's what, because it, it kind of started with that of where like, I, I just really don't want to hug right now. Um, and I sacrifice and give hugs and stuff like that, but I just really don't want to be touched. I don't know if that's just like the, the physical overstimulation from just working my butt off. I don't know what it is, uh, but this is something that I struggle with very, uh, very badly is trying to um, stay intimate uh, on a regular basis um, outside of just the physical, like what Natalie is, is talking about here. Um, that's, that's, yeah, that's tough. And that's something I could probably get better at because it's something that D. Allen really appreciates. And it's something that I'm very not good at. Um, it's like, why you want me to, you want me to give you, I'm, I'm cooking dinner. Like, why do you need a hug? Right. I have things to do. Um, which is not a great mentality for me to have, but it's the way it is. Um, so yeah, I agree with Natalie. Number 20, eat together. It sounds like a given, but both my wife and I came from families and never sat down to eat together. When we started dating, we realized that sharing a meal was and still is our favorite thing to do. Uh, breakfast is kind of what rushed and we're both uh, at work for lunch, but we rarely schedule anything that would disrupt our dinner plans. Uh, even if it's just crappy takeout and we've still got a lot to do that evening, uh, we commit to sitting down, eating and enjoying each other's company for those 20 minutes. Uh, it's a special time for us that's become the highlight of our days and for me, our marriage. Peter, 56, Georgia, married for 27 years. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, sharing meals is important. Uh, sitting down at the dinner table is important. Why is it important? Because it, it most of the time forces conversations. Uh, most of the time it's where you can actually discuss something and get something done. 
uh, because you're not doing anything. Uh, you know how to shovel your face with food. It's not like it's a complete mentally gymnastic type of uh, situation to to eat. And so that frees your mind up to talk about other things. Again, I'm not really very good at this uh, because of a lot of, and maybe I'm just making excuses for myself, but a lot of the, the overstimulation that I get uh, throughout the day, just having conversations, um, talking to people all day. Unfortunately, my wife gets a lot of the short end of that stick at the end of the day uh, <laughs> because I've talked to like four new people today, but I talk to my wife all the time. And so at the end of the day, sometimes I just want to sit and chill. And I would be an absolute liar if I said that I didn't like to watch the TV when we eat. Uh, sometimes we don't. We pause it when we pray. Uh, sometimes I pause it and we talk. But uh, if you can set aside time and make sure that, that that dinner time is purely conversational, that's very important. Uh, and even I, I don't I don't really personally see much wrong. Now, when we have kids and, and this time comes a little bit more difficult to come by, then the TV will turn off. But I personally don't see anything wrong with having meal and entertainment at the same time. My wife, because we don't have kids and because uh, we do spend actually quite a bit of time together, we get to talk about a lot of things outside of meals. Um, and so it's not that big of a deal to like have a meal and eat and, and not have a conversation but it is definitely a very good time to have that conversation. And I think just being together and making sure that you're eating together uh, at the same time, you know, eating is comfort for a lot of people. Uh, definitely. So for me, um, unless I'm eating God awful ground Turkey slop that I have to make myself because I'm trying to get skinny. Uh, it's a time of comfort for me. So even just being able to be next to her comfortable watching mindless TV uh, is very good. And when she's not there, I don't enjoy it as much. So um, I agree with this a lot. Number 20, eat together, uh, doing some things right, Peter. Let's see. Oh, show gratitude. Uh, my husband and I are quote unquote overthinkers. Thank as in over. Thank you. Overthinkers. Uh, that's what we call it. We always go overboard when we show appreciation to someone who's done something nice for us. And that's because we both sincerely appreciate a genuine. Thank you. That's why we make sure no matter how large or small the gesture to say to each other whenever uh, whenever we can. Sometimes it's obvious, like if one of us gets another a gift. Other times it could be, thank you for taking out the garbage last night. I appreciate it. Uh, my husband has taken the garbage out every week for, you only take your trash out once a week? That's crazy. Uh, for almost 35 years, and I remember to say thank you. It's a small gesture, but we both appreciate it every time. Robin, 60, Arizona. Oh, that's why you only do it once a week, so you don't have to go outside. Um, Robin 60, Arizona married 34 years. They just have a giant trash can. They have one of those like rubber made trash cans in their kitchen because they live in Arizona and they don't want to leave the air conditioning. I don't blame them. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, I agree with this. Uh, say thank you as much as you can. Uh, I will caveat this with, uh, remember the love language part. Sometimes thank you doesn't always come in a verbal. Um, if you have trouble expressing a thank you in a verbal, uh, make sure that you get your thank you in. And we've talked about this again. I'm not saying anything that my wife doesn't endorse or admit uh, and that I really haven't talked about before, but uh, my wife has a deal where saying thank you is not always on the first of her mind. Number one, uh, when she's the center of attention, it is very difficult for her. So uh, especially when, like for me, um, she'll say thank you pretty quickly. Uh, but when she's the center of attention from somebody else, thank you is like, not what comes into her mind first. She's very, very worried about um, what she is going to say. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, um, she, sometimes she's trying to figure out um, how the, the many ways that she can use this gift that she has just received or whatever it might be. Uh, and when all eyes are on her, she gets very nervous. And so it's not always her first instinct to go, oh, thank you very much. Like for, for me and for us as kids programmed in, I don't care what I'm about to open. You could give me a pile of dog poop and there's a good chance I'll be like, oh, thank you before I even know what it is. Uh, programmed into us, dare I say, beaten into us. Um, not so for my wife. Uh, and so it is difficult. Like if you ever hear this and you give my wife a gift and you don't immediately hear thank you and you're like, when is she going to say thank you? Just know that she is thankful. She's a grateful person. She's a very grateful person. Uh, it just may not be the easiest thing for her to say. So don't always expect a verbal thank you. Um, but yes, you should always be very thankful for anything that you get and make sure that they know that they appreciate it. There's a good chance that they're doing that for for the thank you. Um, you know, I try to take ownership and do things just because they need to be done, uh, not worry about the thank you, but um, <laughs> I was going to make a rather unsavory joke, but I've been known to buy flowers, uh, you know, for... Uh, a thank you. Let me put it that way. Uh, 22, learn how to apologize. Um, you have to remember that there are many reasons to apologize. Uh, you can apologize for something you did or didn't do. Uh, you can apologize for something you said or didn't say. You can apologize just for the sake of wanting to end the disagreement and move on. Apologizing doesn't necessarily mean you can see or believe uh, what you did was wrong. It means that the situation resulted in something like hurt feelings or miscommunications that made your partner feel bad. And that's the last thing you want to see when you love someone. Not every argument is going to end with one person being right and the other person being wrong. Uh, put aside that ego so that you can move on and grow stronger uh, is much more important, we think. Robert, 63, Michigan, married 33 years. Robert, I disagree with you. Uh, this is probably the first one that I straight up disagree with. Uh, apologies mean something. Words mean something. Uh, words mean something. If you say, I am sorry, uh, that should typically come with a with a solution, but you should actually mean that you were sorry. And uh, you know, he I guess he is right in in the ways that you can define what you're apologizing for. I am sorry. I should have considered the way that that would make you feel when I said it. I don't apologize for what I said. Like I I'm sorry in the way I said something. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe, maybe that word was not something I should have said, but I don't apologize for the sentiment. If, if you meant what you said, um, if you, I, I'm struggling hard to, to find a justifiable excuse, but, um, okay. This, this is one that's kind of funny. Uh, I told my wife the other day that she was eating like a child. Uh, and I've, I've told that before and everybody's like, oh, you would never say that to your wife. And I was like, well, it's, it's half hearted joking. She knows that, but also, yeah, I mean, she, it was her third peanut butter and jelly. What, what, what in the hell do you want me to say? Anyway, um, <laughs> that's, which is funny and she'll laugh at that when she listens to it. But, um, you know, D Ellen, you're eating like a child. Okay. Well, if she really threw a fit about that, I can say, look, I'm sorry. The way I said that it was too, br it was too blunt. It was too frank. Uh, I, I knew it was going to upset you. I said it to upset you. Uh, but I'm not sorry for, you know, correcting your eating habits. I'm sorry, but, um, you know, Jolly Ranchers and ice cream and peanut butter and jellies do not constitute a whole meal. Like I, I'm, I'm sorry for the way that that made you feel. I was wrong for that. Uh, but don't apologize for things that you weren't wrong about. Don't apologize. 
don't apologize for the truth is what I'll say. Never apologize for the truth. Never scrape the truth under the rug. Um, that builds resentment because you know what the truth is. You can let the th- you can let the matter go. Um, you can admit that you were you know. You can give them credit where credit is due. I do this a lot of times with fitness and stuff. If somebody comes to me and says something that's just blatantly false, like, oh, you know that uh, diet soda makes you gain fat like uh, regular soda does, don't you? Um, that's this is blatantly false. It's just not true. Um, I'll say, you know what? Regular sodas are pretty bad for you, aren't they? You notice what I did? Um, didn't deny the truth. Um, we went with what was the only true thing in that statement. Um, you know, like don't ever apologize or like hide the truth. You don't have to acknowledge lies. Um, I'm not going to go to my wife in that scenario and go, you know what? I'm sorry. I have no, I have no place, uh, to, to tell you what your nutrition looks like. And, uh, I was wrong that you were eating like a child. No, that's, we don't apologize for telling the truth. We can apologize for how we said it. We can apologize for, um, when we said it, we can apologize for uh, making that person feel bad, even though we didn't mean to. Um, we can we can apologize for a lot of different things. We don't apologize for the truth. Never. Um, we don't apologize for the truth. Take ownership of what you said. Take ownership of how you said it. If there is an apology in order, you find a way to make that apology. You find a way to make it right. We do not apologize for the truth. I know I hit on that very, very hard, but that's a big one in my uh, in my family. I guess my, my immediate family, I don't know how the rest of my family feels about it, but we don't apologize for the truth. Uh, that can be taken. I'm going to spend some time on this. Very important to take that, uh, and know what that truly means. (coughs) Sorry. I, uh, forgot my water and I'm too stubborn to splice this together, uh, and go get it. But, um, there are people in my family that, and I, let me, I won't even throw this on anybody else. I used to be the type of person that said, I'm going to say the truth. I don't care what anybody thinks about it. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm going to say these words in the way that I want to say them, the way that I mean them. Uh, and I'm actually going to do an episode this Sunday. If you want to hear more about what I'm saying uh, and, the, and the ideas that I'm expressing, tune into this Sunday's episode because I'm going to talk a lot about this. Uh, but I used to be the guy that said, I don't care how you take it. I don't care how, what that means to you, the context and the intent in which I say it, uh, the, the way that I said it and the way that I mean it is all that matters. I'm not going to apologize for hurting your feelings with the truth. That is the wrong mentality, absolute wrong mentality. And when somebody does it to me, it's frustrating. Um, I'm sure just as frustrating as it was when I did it to other people. Um, the correct way to do that is to understand that you can be speaking the truth and it can hurt somebody's feelings and you can apologize for hurting somebody's feelings without apologizing for the truth. Um, where I get very, very frustrated is people will say, Hey, uh, you're fat. And then because the person gets all upset about being called fat, in which many cases they probably should get upset about that. Um, the person goes, Oh no, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so sorry. I said that uh maybe they'll maybe even back up no you're not fat you're you're pretty healthy you wear the weight well that one's always really funny um you know the way you wear the weight well you're you're not fat that was really rude of me uh sorry i should never have said that um the part in there was like you're not fat we don't we don't apologize for the truth if you're overweight you're overweight if it's the truth it's the truth 
you could say, I'm sorry, that was not my place to say anything. Uh, I actually recently had a, an interaction like this with a, uh, with a friend. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get into any specifics because I don't know if they listen to this or not. And, you know, we don't talk about leadership tactics uh, when they're used, I guess. But um, I, I, I was finally done with having uh, bad blood with this friend. And I, the reason that we still had bad blood is because I thought that I had done nothing wrong. Um, I thought that I had done nothing wrong. Uh, and clearly where I made a mistake was saying something to somebody that wasn't ready to hear it. And that especially wasn't ready to hear it from me. It, it was not my place to say something to this person. And that was very clear. And that is an infraction. That sounds like me copping out for what I said, but no, um, you, you are not a good steward of the truth. If you tell somebody the truth, uh, at the wrong place, the wrong time where it is wasted. Um, if you want to be a good steward of the truth, you need to make sure that it's effective. So, uh, I said this to, to a person didn't talk for years, didn't talk for like a year and a half, just stone cold, didn't talk. And, uh, when I apologized, I made sure to apologize for everything, but the truth. Um, because I don't apologize for the truth. Um, and I apologized in ways that I genuinely believe that I was wrong. It was very clear that I, it was not my place to, to say anything about that. Uh, was it the truth? I believe it was. Uh, was it something that needed to be said? I think it was. Not by me. Um, not by me. And so you apologize. You move on. Maybe they'll never realize that. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Uh, but there is a time and a place to apologize just because you said something, uh, just because you said the truth doesn't mean that you were right to say it in that time to that person in the way that you said it. Uh, but to clarify, we don't apologize for the truth. So number 22, learn how to apologize. You were doing it wrong, sir. Robert. Um, I don't care that you've been married. You know what? I'm going to say it. I don't care that you've been married 33 years. You don't know how to apologize. Um, yeah, you don't just apologize for anything. And this is what it says. Uh, apologizing doesn't necessarily mean you concede or believe what you did was wrong. Um, it does. That's why you should clarify your apology. That's why you should clarify what you're sorry about and what you're going to fix. Um, again, this, I I can't stress how important this is. And that's why I'm doing a whole episode on Sunday about it. But, uh, one of the things that, um, my wife's family, uh, really upset her was that, it was almost like a gaslighting or an, an ignoration. I don't know if ignoration is a, an ignorance uh, of, of the truth in a certain circumstance. Uh, and my wife was, you know, very adamant that this was the truth and she was correct. It was the truth. And she said something about it. Um, now <laughs> be the first one to admit that my wife is not always the, the best in the way. And in the time that she says things just as I am not. And as I have not been, uh, just as we all are not and all maybe not have been, but my wife has a, a certain ability to say some things at the wrong times. Um, and so, uh, it's, it's not overly egregious. She's not the worst, but, uh, sometimes it's like, yeah, you, you could have avoided saying that <laughs> you just didn't. Um, anyway, uh, she said something and they wanted her to apologize because it caused a whole massive thing caused a whole massive thing. Everything blew up. Uh, and you know what? If my wife would have just not said that thing, it wouldn't have happened. If my wife would have just 
shoved down years of frustration and not said that thing would have just not happened. Uh, and they wanted her to apologize for it. Just go apologize. Just apologize. Just apologize. Nope. And I told her, I said, you do not. No, we don't apologize for the truth. That is not what we do here. You said the truth. You know, if, if she was, uh, if, if this was a rational conversation, you could apologize for the way you said it. You could apologize when you said it, but you do not apologize for the truth. That's not what, that's not what we do here. Um, not my wife. Nope. We don't apologize for the truth. And that gave her a lot of comfort. And it really made her realize that that's what they were trying to get her to do was deny the truth and apologize for it. And we don't do that. Um, so this is very important to me. As you can tell, I've spent quite a bit of time uh, on this one of apology, and it's very important to me. Does not mean that you can't apologize. As a matter of fact, I urge you, I urge you to find ownership in this situation. Find something that you can apologize for, because that means that you're going to say, I'm sorry. You're going to take ownership of it, and you're going to get better. Do not apologize for the truth. I'll move on. Uh, tune in on Sunday to hear more about this about this topic. There is more, and there's other angles. Uh, it's not just going to be about apology. It's going to be about um, conversations in general. So I really recommend if you enjoyed that to tune in on Sunday. Uh, let's see. We've got three more. Three more. Communicate your needs. Otherwise, your partner will be guessing uh, or even worse, your partner will be fretting over the fact that he or she doesn't know what you're thinking. My wife and I can both be catastrophic thinkers if she's upset about something uh, but doesn't tell me what it is. I immediately think it's something I've done and vice versa. And more often than not, uh, it's something that has nothing to do with me or us, but the mind can play tricks on you and make you start to wonder and your partner will, you and your partner will thrive as a couple of you can communicate what is going on as clearly as possible so that instead of wondering, you can be present for each other uh, and there to offer support. Richard 70, Ohio. First of all, Ohio doesn't exist. Ohio's fake. It's not real. Um, so I don't, yeah, Richard, you liar. Um, you don't, you're not even real. Richard, dick, 70, Ohio, false. You haven't been married for 40 years. Um, anyway, uh, otherwise your, uh, your partner will be guessing. Um, I actually, I, I agree with this quite a bit. Uh, you should be open with your partner. Um, this honestly, and I don't, again, I know it sounds like I'm ragging on my wife. I'm really not. Um, I've said plenty of times in this episode, the ways that I've messed up. So uh, calm down. Um, my wife included calm down. <laughs> um, but anyway, this, this will happen to where is like, I'm the type to bring almost everything up. And my wife is the type to bring almost nothing up. And so when I bring something up, she's like, well, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm always the one that's wrong. And it's like, okay, but I I know this is true. Like, I, I know that you, like, I know that what I'm talking about is what you did here was not correct. So, um, I don't know if you want me to like, I don't know if you want to get a tally sheet or something, but like, and typically what's happened is that she's not any, she's not wrong any more than I am. She just doesn't bring it up, uh, when I'm wrong. Um, or, and to take ownership of the situation, uh, I'll very quickly dismiss why she's brought something up for me. Uh, that's also pretty, that, that I, I have no doubt that that is also my tendency as well. Um, simply put, I am much better arguing than my wife is, um, which is not a good quality. I mean, it's a decent quality, but it's not a great one. Uh, to <clears throat> be good at arguing is not something you should aspire to. Um, being, you know, open and honest, uh, and just dealing with the facts, kind of like my wife does is very good. Um, 
uh, you should not seek to manipulate. Um, I do it almost uh, subconsciously sometimes, um, which is just part of part of arguing and making a case and being good socially is is almost like the art of being able to um, reflect one's emotions and everybody thinks this is a bad word, but manipulate. Um, any any person that's considered good socially at all has the power of manipulation. That's how they're good socially. Uh, it's not always in a, a negative connotation, but it can be. And, you know, my wife will bring up like, hey, you did this. And I'll instantly hit her with like a good argument of like, yeah, why are you even talking to me about this, 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 and this, uh, which is not a good thing to do. It frustrates her. That's why she brought it up. Um, so I'll immediately hit her with a good argument. So she never brings that up again. Like, not going to talk about it ever again. Uh, and so when I bring something up, she's like, well, it's always on me. It's like, is there anything I do that I can fix? You know, like what, wh- okay, what do you see that I can do that will help this? And I mean that, um, and like, like I said, a lot of times it's because she just hasn't brought it up. Uh, and that really, that, that hamstrings progress because now, um, let's say you have this issue now you're worried about all the things that um you're more worried about all the times that you've let it go uh and all the times that this person hasn't let it go than you are about just solving the problem and that's never good uh i always feel like when this happens to me i always feel um kind of slighted in the argument or i feel like somebody just took my knees out um because i don't apologize for the truth but also um it's like I, I can't, you're saying that I always like, how do I put this? Um, you're saying that I'm always too hard on you, which may be, uh, true. Um, or like, you're always the one in the wrong here. Um, which may be true, but then now I feel like I can't move forward at all. It's like, I don't really want to apologize for the truth because I feel like what happened here was not good. Uh, but also I don't want to be a tyrant. Like I don't want to be just always hounding on my wife. That's not good. Um, and because she is right, like she almost never brings something up for me. Um, I can't really argue with her either. You know, it's, I am the one that always bring things up. And so it's, uh, that's where I have to be super conscious about things that I might have done, um, that have upset her. So like today, uh, not in a good mood today, really not in a great mood this morning. Uh, wasn't in a great mood last night. Uh, been pretty worn down with a lot of the stuff that I've been, I've had going on. And I was kind of dismissive and a little rude this morning to my wife who was not that way. Um, And so uh, I just straight up apologized earlier. Like I saw that I did something wrong. Hey, sorry for being rude. Sorry for being a little dismissive earlier. Um, Sorry. Uh, I I, I try to be very, very conscious of when um, I do something that that might upset her uh, so that she doesn't have to bring it up. Acknowledge it. um, Apologize for it make sure that she doesn't have to bring it up. And so I don't feel, I don't have the worry of all of these things that I might have done that she hasn't said anything about. Therefore, I can't bring something up. I know that sounds a little, might sound a little twisted. It might sound a little self-serving, but I promise it's a real thing. And I promise that uh, it is justified, I think. And I think my wife would agree with a lot of the things that I've said. Um, so anyway, uh, 24, don't keep score. If you start looking at your marriage like a point system, you're never going to be happy. When we were younger, uh, we would constantly bicker about shared responsibilities. Uh, one of us would feel like we did more housework one week while the other felt like they would work long hours. Or one of us would feel like we didn't get enough credit for doing X, Y, and Z, uh, while the other didn't feel enough uh, appreciation for A, B, and C. 
uh, it was a lose-lose situation. It was until we, it wasn't until we realized that we were both working hard uh, to create a good life and apply in a happy household uh, till we were able to create a good life. Sorry, it wasn't until we realized that we were both working hard to create a good life and a happy household that we stopped nitpicking. Instead, we just helped each other when we were uh, when we could and did our best to be partners at the same time. Yeah, I agree. Um, try not to keep score. Um, and I know I just talked about like bringing things up and, and stuff like that. Um, try not to keep score about the things that they've upset you with. Try not to keep score about the things that you've upset them with and move on. <coughs> we've hit a couple, we've hit that a couple times. Last one, choose your stress. Uh, this is great marriage advice and really great life advice. You can only handle so much stress in one day, uh, as an individual and as part of a family. And we, as we both gotten older, we realized that we're more capable of choosing what we want to stress over. And that's what we do. We might have seemed like what might've seemed like a big deal, uh, 20 years ago, uh, an annoying neighbor or unexpected car trouble, for example, has really been put into perspective by all we've gotten through together. Uh, if you can accept that you'll have stressors in your life, uh, you can train yourself to decide which ones you'll let affect you in your marriage. Uh, and more importantly, which ones won't Carl, uh, 57 Oregon married 30 years. Uh, it's Carl with a K, which I don't like for some reason, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know, it says choose your stress. Uh, basically I don't know that choose your stress is the wrong or is the right way to describe that. But, uh, basically what it's saying is, uh, don't be stressed out by absolutely everything. Um, you know, Oh, you're having random car trouble is what it is. Get over it. Uh, don't, don't let that affect, uh, the rest of your day. I, this is another kind of, uh, typical like cliche, but, uh, have bad moments, not bad days. Uh, is, is another good one. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I don't know if there's really much else that needs to be said other than Carl, be a man, spell it with a C. I don't like that for some reason. Uh, guys, this was a, a pretty cool episode um, going over what was mostly good advice. Uh, I think the only one that I really disagreed with was uh, old Richard. Let's see, which one was that? Number 23, uh, maybe. No, it was, oh, uh, Robert. Um, oh yeah. Richard was the one from Ohio fake, uh, not real. Uh, number 22, learn how to apologize. Uh, Robert 63 from Michigan. Yeah. I don't, I don't like what Robert said. <clears throat> the one about apologizing. Uh, not good. Don't like that. Everything else was pretty solid. So guys, I appreciate this. This again, this was a, an article on fatherly. Um, I don't know what, you venture anywhere outside this article, I mean, this may be really a, a really bad site. Literally, I googled marriage advice, and this was the first one that popped up. So, not endorsing this website at all. Uh, but if you want to go look at the uh, the actual advice for yourself, you're welcome to. Um, but yeah, this is cool, guys. I uh, appreciate you listening, and tune in on Sunday for uh, the Purpose Podcast Sunday series, where I'm going to talk about what we talked about today of. Uh, what you really, the, the context is going to be, uh, the difference between how you say it and what they heard or how you mean something in the way that they hear it, uh, why those two are different, why it's important to understand that distinction, um, why it's important to be a good steward of the truth. So, uh, if that interests you at all, tune into that and I'll see you guys later. Thanks.